Welcome to Globally Speaking, your program that explores everything and anything to do with language localization. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting global brands today? Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who's engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Renato and Michael. Hi, this is Renato Beninato. And this is Michael Stevens, and you're listening to Globally Speaking. Today, we're going to talk about sales. Sales. You and I have been known to sell a few things in our career. Yes, it's one of those topics that in every conference that you go, there's always a track around sales, about growth, and about how to make your company successful. And it's one of those topics that we both love. We live <laughs> off of sales. <laughs> there are some things that we can share with our audience that might be useful for everybody, from a translator to a translation company owner, even for people who work in localization departments internally. Yeah, what's the old adage? Not everyone is in sales, but everyone is selling. My first job, I worked at a company called Arthur Anderson, and I went for an interview with a partner. And I saw this triangle with a saying, and it says in bold letters, if you don't sell, a terrible thing happens. And then you had to get really, really close because there was a word written in, in point size four or something yeah. like that. And it said nothing, Yeah, which is the worst thing that could happen. It is. So this is a very interesting business because if you try to bring sales down to a formula, you're trying to standardize and identify something that is right for everybody. But sales is not a science in itself, although there are scientific elements. But one of the key learnings for me, because I don't come from a sales background, I'm actually a terrible salesperson because I talk too much. <laughs> so You have to be able to listen. Yes. The biggest skill in selling is listening, is not talking. Surprise, surprise. And one of the things that I learned over the years was that sales is a process. It has steps and it has some rules. And if you follow the process and you know where you are in the process, your probability of success is much higher than if you don't. But Michael, what was the most important sales lesson that you have learned in your career? Wow. They seem to all hit at different points in my career, lessons on sales. I think, you know, God's given us two ears and one mouth for a reason is a big one, like you said. Probably one that I learned in my very first formal sales job that's carried on that I didn't even realize I was learning is it's not about the product you sell, but it's about how that product benefits clients towards their business goals. So I started selling office equipment, copiers. And instead of going in and talking about how fabulous this 35 page per minute copier we had was and all of, all of the benefits of it, we would go and make maps of the office floor for the clients we were looking at. And we would look at how many steps the receptionist or the secretary of the CEO had to take in order to get to their current copier. And we would start talking about efficiencies and all of these business buzzwords. But we actually were able to fit in how does buying a 
copier make a difference in your overall bottom line in your business. And it was, again, not about the product, but about what are all of the business goals it's helping you achieve. One of the things, yes, and that's fascinating because that carries into any business. And one of the things that we like to talk about is that sales is not about offering or telling what your product is about, but creating an opportunity for the person to buy. So there is this author, Jeffrey Gitomer. I love his stuff. And one of the things that I learned from him was that people hate to be sold to, but they love to buy. Everybody loves to buy. So selling should not be so much presenting, but listening and creating an environment for the buyer to feel comfortable with your product so that they want it and they want to buy from you. So one of the things that we talk about very often is the buyer journey. How do you see the buyer journey? (laughs) The buyer journey can be very complex. That's a broad question. How do I see the buyer journey? In the context of selling services. So you have buyers who are starting in different places. You have buyers who are focused on growth and expansion. And they're motivated to change because they want to keep up with what's happening in the industry. They want to keep up with their competition. And they want to be using the most efficient, effective means that are out there for you. You have other buyers who have something that's going terribly wrong. So something's broken. So they're motivated because they need to fix an internal problem. That may even just be political within a company. So if buyers at different starting points, other people feel like they have what they need and they're comfortable, they're not really on a journey. But those two places, growth-motivated people or crisis-motivated people, are really where the journey starts. What I've seen, been doing sales, wow, about 15 years now, somewhere in that ballpark, there's been a big change in that people would talk to you much earlier in the process previously. So they would come to you and say, I don't even really know what it is I'm looking for, but tell me what you have and let's talk more about it. The buyer today is a lot more informed because they say that once the buyer is talking to you, 67% 67% of the, the sale is done. The sale is done already. Yeah. Right. Because they've done their homework. Everything is available on the web. You can search, you can get information, you can compare, you can check references, you can do a lot before you have that first conversation. Right. And they're coming in with 67% of that information done. So, really, you're doing things like differentiating. So, you're saying, yes, we're the same as everything else you've read, but this is how we're different. These are the values that we can bring to you. But how can we talk about differentiation in a market where there's very little differentiation? Yeah, that's that's a million-dollar question right there. Well, the point, I believe, is that the differentiation is in understanding the client need. So if you break out the buying process, there are essentially three phases in the buying process. There is a phase of need, The second phase is proof, and the third phase is risk. So everybody, when they're buying any product, they go through these three steps in the process. And the first element, they need to know, can you fulfill my need? That's the first question. Do you do translations? Do you remove carpets? Do you wash windows? The first question that the client has is they want to assert that they're talking to the right person and somebody that can understand and solve their problem. The second step is they want, usually there is an element 
it's not a stage in itself, it's the element of cost. So very early on in the conversation, the client wants to know how much does your service cost, which is cost is very different from price. And this is a very common mistake that people make in this phase is that when the client wants to know how much does it cost, he doesn't want to know price per word. Do you know what they want to know? They want to know if it is affordable, if they have enough money. Yeah, you've asked the question before, is $10,000 a lot or a little? Exactly. And that all depends on the context. It depends on the context. If if it is $10,000 for something that is going to generate $11,000 for you, that's a lot of money. If it is $10,000 for something that is going to generate $2 million for you, that's dirt cheap. So price is very, very relative. And cost is something that people in the beginning, they want essentially to gauge where they are in the conversation. Is this something that I really need? Is this something that I have to pay? So your conversation needs to adapt to that. And then they go into this proof phase. Yeah. Before we get into the proof phase, oftentimes I find people are saying, are you in the ballpark of other people? So that way it kind of reconfirms the previous step of are you offering the same thing is usually if you're five times more, if I'm talking to someone else, you're probably not offering me the same service. There's probably a disconnect there. Well, you know, price, quality, service, these are extremely relative Mm -hmm. concepts. So the most important concept of all these is value. Right. Right. So once you can establish value, And value is not something that you can establish. Value is something that the client assigns to the relationship, to the discussion that is going on. So there is a a big difference between a transactional relationship where people just buy thousands of words or a document. I need a a driver's license and a passport Mm -hmm. translated. This is very transactional. You can pay with a credit card. It's very simple. But when you talk about large volumes, long-term relationships, processes is like a product release that includes the marketing element, the product element, the support element. This is a much more complex sale and the conversation takes longer and includes other elements. And when you're in this place of cost and value in those conversations, it's helpful for the salesperson because oftentimes it can bring about the number of the budget or the size of the engagement that you're in. Like, it's not just about the buyer getting information they need. Actually, the person who's selling can go, oh, okay, now I understand a little more about what you're looking for. This is what we can do because it's helping provide parameters. Even if you're not talking hourly rates or cost per word, you're establishing parameters that will allow you to move into the next phase, which you were talking about. Well, the proof phase. The proof phase, once you establish that you can do what I need and... I have money to pay for the services that you're going to provide me. You start the conversation morphs into references or tests or is there a way for me to know that you are as good as you say? Can I talk to another client that did the same services? What are the connections? What other clients in my industry have you worked with? How can I know that you know the terminology in my space? So the conversation in this second phase of the relationship goes around elements that make the buyer feel comfortable 
with the services that you're offering them. Mm-hmm. So this is a very interesting phase. There are some techniques that you can use during the proof phase to establish yourself as a credible partner towards the buyer. Mm-hmm. So then... After you've determined that you can do the job, that the client can pay for the job, that you have the skills that are required to do it, we go into the final, the decision phase that it's usually called the risk phase. And the interesting thing here is that once you reach the risk phase, logical arguments tend to have less importance than emotional arguments. Yeah, that's where they're looking for someone who they can trust. Exactly. The old adage, no one ever got fired for buying IBM. Exactly. Yeah. There is an element of safety, of being in a position that, okay, now I have to make a decision. This might influence my career, my standing inside my company as a decision maker. I will involve other people in the organization helping in making that decision. And this is where very often translation companies don't understand and lose business in this phase. Because this phase is not logical. It's not the lowest price is going to win. It's not the best quality is going to take the relationship. Sometimes your worst enemy here is the buyer's fear to change, to make a decision, To go with an unknown, Mm -hmm. if there is an incumbent, they're not very happy. And then this is the moment where they say, oh, okay, they're not excellent. Maybe we can give them one more chance. We can give them another chance. Exactly. Let's see where it goes. So if you're prepared to deal with this last phase and really a good sales executive will prepare for this phase from The first phase, from the need phase, you're already addressing the risks from the beginning of the process. So what is important in this buyer journey is understanding that in a transaction that can last five minutes to a process that can last over a year and a multi-million dollar sale, you don't make decisions in weeks, you make decisions in months, right? So you have to be aware of where in these three different steps three different phases in the buying process the client is so that you can align your communication to those phases. So related to sales specifically in localization, if you had to categorize overall sales maturity of the industry, how would you rate that? It would vary company to company. Absolutely. Things like that for sure. Product to product. But I don't think that we can talk about sales maturity of the industry because the reality is that sales maturity doesn't matter. The most important role and the most important thing to understand is the buyer maturity. Mm. So where is the buyer in the process? How well do they know? So you will see LSPs all over the world whose main job, and they see this as their main job, is to educate the buyer, to provide information about the language business risks and challenges because the buyer is very mature. So the immature buyer needs a lot of hand-holding, and that's one type of sale. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have the very mature buyer, the large corporations that buy millions of dollars a year in, in translation and localization services into dozens of languages And they have a procurement department to support them. They have market research. 
they have a network of peers that they can reach out to and find references and things like that. So the maturity of the salesperson is only as good as the maturity of the, the buyer. buyer. Yeah, you yep. don't want to have a, a salesperson that is too smart because they will turn off the buyer. I don't buyer. think that's the problem that <laughs> most companies have. <laughs> and there's a relationship too between the transactional nature. The more transactional a sale is, oftentimes the faster it can go. People can make decisions about buying gum in the grocery line really, really quickly. There are 50 types of gum. They grab one, they buy it. I've known companies, I've met, I've visited companies around the world. I do this regularly on my consulting practice. And I find out that sales for some of these people is just writing proposals, templates, and sending them by email, by fax even sometimes still, and expecting the client to say yes or no. So every single opportunity has a 50% chance of closing. Which is one approach. And then you just, it's the old style of, then I get as many opportunities as I can into the funnel. And then I just keep that transaction going back and forth. And eventually I'll win a percentage of those just because the, what do they say in the hunger games? May the odds be in your favor. Exactly. (laughs) The odds are in your favor, but you are playing a hunger games type of mentality. You're going to need to go low on cost in order to win those. There's very little way to distinguish yourself if you look at it that way. And one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that building a sales force and selling takes time. Mm. It's an investment. It's not something that you hire a salesperson and you expect that within a couple of months, six months, you're going to start seeing results. Usually, my recommendation to companies that are starting in the sales journey is that you have to be prepared to invest for a year, a year and a half before you start seeing the results. Yeah, And sometimes it's more important to invest in the right sales management before you invest in the salespeople. Because salespeople by themselves without proper management are not necessarily going to yield the results that you expect. Yeah. There have been, in some of my experiences in the industry, some really out-of-touch expectations for salespeople. $2 million of new business in their first year is the expectation. and Well, the expectation is that they're going to be very lucky. Yeah, that's going to be very <laughs> lucky. Or, you know, there's this other perception that I think is not true in sales is that salespeople can bring clients along with them. Perhaps that's true of some smaller clients, but in general, large enterprise companies are not following salespeople. They may trust a salesperson that may get the company into that client. You can get a meeting, but you will not necessarily get a sale. You're not going to get the sale, and it rarely transfers over. Whether the person's you know, working for an LSP or a translator, what are some things people can do to improve their sales acumen? What advice would you have? Well, sales is a skill, and a skill is something that you develop. There's very good material um, available, very good literature around sales. I always recommend The Sales Bible by Jeffrey Gittimer. That's a good it's one. a very simple book. And you have the traditional consultative sales methodologies, customer-centric selling, solution selling, spin selling. These are sales methodologies that have principles 
around them that you can use on the day-to-day activity. After many years in this business, one of the things that I learned is that you have certain principles that you can always go back to. So whatever sales problem you have, you can always go back to one of the sales principles. One of my favorite is that people buy from people. So are you talking to people? Or are you thinking all your strategy around companies? Companies don't buy anything. It's people who buy from people. Yeah. One of my favorite books, and like you said, the sales Bible, that's an investment of less than $20 that can yield some fruit. One that really struck me is called New Sales Simplified. The author is Mike Weinberg. It has those building blocks sort of of all the best, the MHIs and the CSS and all those other acronyms and sales that people do. Something as simple as developing your elevator speech. Mm-hmm. Once you get something like that down, it's about getting in front of people, whether they're buyers or not, going to cocktail parties and answering that question. What do you do? Trying out a couple different things. Well, we provide companies this, or I make magic happen by blah, blah, blah. And seeing what people respond to and just starting to incorporate that into your common spiel, how you relate to people. So practice, people buy from people. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because one of the funny things for me are salespeople who don't go out, salespeople who don't network, salespeople who don't participate in events. There's no way that you're going to sell sitting on your couch. And if you're going to do some kind of sale from your couch, it better be the time that you're spending there is setting appointments to see people face to face. It's a funny thing that I've learned over the years is that once you have a face to face meeting, the probability of closing a sale goes up by more than 50%. I mean, it's that simple. So I think our time is up. Let us leave with a little tidbit that I worked for many years as one of the founders of Common Sense Advisory. And I joke that in seven years working in market research, my biggest learning was that the companies that have the most salespeople have the highest revenue. So keep that in mind. If you want to grow, hire salespeople. Great. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Burns360. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, brought to you by Moravia. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So until next time, please visit online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com.